He charged me with resisting arrest. Get that confidence in jail. I object. Hello, court is in session. And might I remind you, this is just the court of public opinion. This isn't that serious. So for the people who are tuning in for some very serious, serious one-on-one like legal lingo, you're not going to get it here. Um, Shout out to the person who gave me my last review on (laughs) Apple Music or whatever it's called, Apple Podcasts who said that I butcher the English language by using the term ingredients. You guys, I didn't even make that up. I was simply repeating what I heard from one of my favorite Bravo cons, Teresa Giudice. So in spirit of some of you guys not necessarily being down with the housewives lingo and apparently don't aren't comfortable using housewives jargon in your everyday lives, I am doing an episode that should be up a little bit after this one where we're going to have like a little one-on-one housewives 101. So that is to appease all of the people who maybe don't know what's going on. We're going to get you caught up to speed because when we start in 2023, like we're hitting the ground running. I don't think you guys understand. So you know, well, you'll have to listen to that one and you'll have to get with the program and then you'll have to stop leaving me reviews. If I say ingredients, that's not my fault. That's not my fault. And I won't, and I won't listen to it and I won't accept it. So if you guys could go leave me a five-star review, that would be so great. Maybe instead of one thing you hate about my show, you could say something like one thing really nice about it, or you could just not say anything, or you could even like do an emoji. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like not that hard, but that's okay. We love and forgive you and like peace be with you and enjoy your exit. And, um, next time don't announce it, you know, just fucks with my rating. That's on you for not knowing. So for the rest of us, I did a little bit of a poll on my Instagram and I was like, listen, there's some new docs out. New docs just dropped in the Jen Shaw case. It's the government's filing about what sentencing they think Jen Shaw should get. So I was like, do you guys want to hear about this or are we over it? And I would say it was like 25 versus 75, like 25% of the people were like, Fuck you. Do not let me listen to this woman one more time. And I'm sorry to tell those people who voted no Jen Shaw, you're going to want to turn this off. But before you turn this off, go give me a five-star review and shout out about what you like about this podcast. But don't talk about that I talked about Jen Shaw because that's just the nature of the beast. You know what I mean? Anyway... For the 75% that were interested in the government's response and pleading about what they think that Jen's sentence should be, please stick around. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. So first, I think we should go through, I'm going to read the filing that the government wrote. It's like in a letter format. 
So I'll read the parts of that that I think are interesting. All of these documents are on the website right now. I already put it up before this because I knew I would forget because I always forget. And um, I didn't want to jot new year, new me, like I'm going to stop forgetting, I swear. So all of the, if you want to read the full document, it's it's all going to be up there. So I'm just going to skim the part that I kind of like and that I'm interested in. So first, right off the bat, the government says, Dear Judge Stein, the government respectfully writes in advance of the sentencing of defendant Jennifer Shaw, currently scheduled for January 6, 2023 at 2.30 p.m. Well, new development after this was filed. So this was filed on December 23rd on like maybe yesterday. I think it was the 27th. The judge made an order that was like, oh, yeah, the 2.30 time, that's not going to work for me anymore, and moved it up to 10 a.m. Like, imagine, oh, my God, I'd be so nervous if I was like, okay, I have until 2.30 to spend time with my family and figure out what my sentence is going to be and this and that. I mean, at at some, at some time you're like, okay, let's just get it over with. Like, thanks for moving it up. But on the other side of the coin, it's like, oh, I have way less time than I thought. Like, that's when you realize how precious every minute is because she just lost like eight hours or something with her kids. I don't know. I don't really do math that good. I don't do math that good. Sorry, Pixie, whatever. Don't, don't leave a comment about, we're just here to have fun, okay? We're just here to have fun. So the government writes, um, all about Jen's efforts in the scheme and all about how she was like the number one guy in the group. And she was the one who like told people what to do and how to set up the bank accounts. They say, According to the U.S. government, Jen directed others to lie. She put businesses and bank accounts in the names of others. She required payment in cash. She instructed others to delete messages and electronic documents. She moved some of her operations overseas. And she tried to put computers and other evidence beyond the reach of investigators. So that's interesting. So she tried to hide computers. It reminds me of, um, was it Zoolander? I can't remember. The files are in the computer. And he's like, what? <laughs> I bet, I bet, I bet she just like threw him off the side of a mountain or like tried to drown him in the jacuzzi. <laughs> okay. But then they say, despite defendant's best efforts, she got caught. She then went on a public offensive and tried to profit off the charges by selling Justice for Jen merchandise. That is true. She did. She did do that. And then they say she pled guilty at the 11th hour, only after receiving government's trial exhibits and witness statements. Yeah. So they say for those reasons and the reasons I'm going to talk about below, they asked for 10 years in prison for Jen. So if we recall, Jen asked for three years, might as well be 30 days. And the government was like, 
you know what? She tried to make money off of this. So I say 10 years. And you know what? When the paragraph right above is like she sold like crap that had justice for Jen on it, like after being guilty is, I mean, I mean, not after being guilty. She sold it before she pled guilty, but she was guilty anyway, you know, cause she pled guilty at the end. Anyway, 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 it's just gross. So they say she was like this big old leader in this wide ranging telemarketing scheme. And we sort of went over this in a previous episode where they sold uh, Jen's companies, like sold these victims coaching sessions. And they were like, Oh yeah, you can have all this business and all this stuff. Like, but, um, you'll just have to like pay us eight grand or whatever. And then they'd ghost these poor old people after like stealing all their money or like racking up all their credit from their credit card. So that was not so good. And one of the companies that Jen had was called Tax Club. And in early 2013, Tax Club ran a floor out of Manhattan as part of the business scheme that was ended up being shut down by the Federal Trade Commission due to deceptive business practices. Like there's a pattern here. Um, I've like the, in this issue with the Tax Club out of Manhattan that the FTC shut down. For approximately like four years before that, this club acted just like Jen Shaw's thing. They got information about the victims from Jen's company Thrive. Remember Thrive? Go listen to that episode about Jen and you'll know all about this stuff. It's, I don't know. It's just like, we'll read the victim impact statements and you kind of, of course we know what it's how upsetting it is to like not be able to afford things. But when you've like drained all your bank accounts and you're old, that's so fucked up. That's so fucked up. So then the government was like, we are actually also going to go ahead and tell everybody in the world that in April, 2015, Jen gave sworn testimony in that FTC investigation of a whole other thing called top shelf marketing. And in that testimony, Jen admitted to providing leads, um, while she was employed by Thrive, but she denied engaging in any lead brokering. Okay. But that was false. So she lied under oath. So, so she lied under oath. So like basically the judge is going to kind of look at that and be like, Oh, nothing this woman says is like, Credible, right? I mean, she's a liar. So by early 2017, the FTC sued both Thrive and Guidance, those are Jen's companies, for engaging in deceptive business practices. And Jen, in partnership with Stuart, continued to operate this company called Red Steel and sold like the leads to the coaching floors all throughout New Jersey, Washington, Nevada. And, um, did I say Utah and did I say New Jersey? Those as well. Then she opened her own sales floor, um, with Jen, with Stewart's assistants. I mean that there you go. There he is being an assistant 
And that was called Mastery Pro Group. So this was like a way that she further exploited these victims. And she hired all these people who used to work at a past company that was shut down by the FTC to work at this company. So it's like you plucked a bunch of shady people up and put a bunch of shady people down. You know, it's just like weird. So then the government's like, okay, so there's this whole other case that happened beforehand that got solved, solved. (laughs) I'm reducing my Zoloft medication down. And so now my brain like does spazzy things just like for the time being, you know, it's not like a serious issue. And uh, so please bear with me. Don't leave a two-star review. Thank you. So there was a whole other case that had very similar and intertwined facts and people and all of that that was called like the United States versus Kitabchi. Okay. And Jen was kind of involved in that and she was like interviewed in it and she and Stuart had little depositions and et cetera and et cetera. Well, When that whole case started and started to go down and it went out in the news and the government released like the press release releasing the charges in that Katabji case, one of Jen's like quote unquote friends or business partners texted the link of like all the press releases of the charges to Jen and Jen responded, holy fucking shit. And then... And then she communicated with Stuart about shifting to working from home to keep computers out of the office so that they wouldn't be seized by law enforcement. Okay, it's like you kind of know that what you're doing is bad if you're like, listen, don't work at the office because, because I don't want them to take the shit that we're working on. That's a red flag. That's a little bit of a red flag. I'm just saying, if your boss is like, oh, please work from home because I don't want your computer seized by the federal government, like I would be like, why don't you just go ahead and keep this computer? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna scoot. I'm gonna get out of here. Trust me, it's way better to be like kind of poor for a while than work at that job. So they also say that. Jen engaged in like a ton of different activity and other methods to conceal what her criminal conduct was. So, and they list a bunch of reasons and I'm going to, and I'm going to tell them to you. So the first is Jen instructed Stuart Smith to direct all the co-conspirators to pay for the leads in cash. So she's like, yeah, we're not going to be tracing this money around. Like you're giving me cash. Okay. Jen told Chidi and other co-conspirators to incorporate victim-facing telemarketing companies in the state of Wyoming because that state's laws would permit them to conceal the true owners of the companies from the public. So basically, she's like, if you incorporate this business like and file it in Wyoming and, and run it under Wyoming laws. We don't have to say who we are that is running this company. So you should go ahead and put that money in or put, um, register these companies there and they won't even know that we're the people who are doing the damn thing. Yikes. 
sounds like someone got a little bit of like what sounds like legal advice. I'm not necessarily sure. Like I know Jen's a really smart woman, but in the last episode, we will recall that she did have to drop out of college to raise her kids and support coach through law school and stuff. So she did miss the law school part. So it's like, how did, who researched that about the Wyoming thing? Like, how did she learn that? That's like so specific, you know, it's like shady. So anyway, then Jen told Chidi and the other co-conspirators to communicate only through encrypted messaging apps like Telegram, on which she used the fake name Becky White. How embarrassing is that? Becky White? Like, that's so dumb. Like, why Becky? I guess Jen would be like, I'm Becky. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Becky White just seems like a nice girl. I've <laughs> I feel kind of bad for it. But I don't see anything necessarily wrong with using encrypted messaging apps. Like, I think that's fine. We don't need to be spied on anymore. But it's like telling people like, hey, we're only going to talk on this. Okay. And I'm going to be named Becky. That's like red flag number a thousand. So then they accused Jen and Stuart of that they discussed removing the electronic versions of the sales scripts that uh, Cash and I read in an earlier episode, the sales scripts that these people on the phone would read to the victims over the phone to like scam them out of a bunch of money and stuff. So the government says Jen and Stuart discussed removing the e-versions of those scripts from the computers and removing computers from offices. And in July of 2018, Jen sent a text to Stuart that says, quote, Delete the sales scripts from the Google Drive dot 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 end quote. Hmm. Jen directed Stuart to delete their communications from his phone to eliminate any paper trail connecting the two of them to MPG, that company we talked about, Mastery Pro Group. And they say that Jen had Stuart as the only name on the MPG bank accounts between 2017 and 2019, and that Jen was paid either in cash or through the use of the company's credit card, the balance of which was paid by the company, which means the victim's money. So they're basically saying here, she would rack up a credit card in the name of Mastery Pro Group, and then Mastery Pro Group would steal all this money from these olds and then pay off Jen's card. And it's like, all for what, lady? Good God. In 2018, Jen was telling um Stuart that she was, like, very upset because there was this co-conspirator that, well, okay, first rewind. Apparently Jen had a little condo in Manhattan. That was news to me. So in October of 2018, Jen had this condo in Manhattan and one of her co-conspirators would stay there while she wasn't there. So Jen is talking to Stuart about this and she's all, Listen, I'm kind of getting nervous that like our house guest over here is going to be like 
ratting out our address to the cops. And in fresh, in expressing this frustration to Stuart about the potential disclosure of her name and place of residence, Jen told Stuart in writing, quote, look, bitch. <laughs> Stop. I can't. I have to read this in, um, in her like aggression. Look, bitch, I'm doing you a favor. You aren't on the lease and you don't pay rent. Therefore, you don't live here. If someone is doing you a favor, you bring my name into a federal prosecution case. My home is my place of refuge. They could come in with a warrant now at any time if they wanted to. Dot, dot, dot. Plus, Mercedes House has all my last three years of everything next to my DNA results when I had to apply to live here. I've never applied to live in a house that was like, we're going to be needing those DNA results. (laughs) Like, where are you trying to live? Okay, so Jen and Stuart were continuing this whole scheme throughout 2019 and 2020, even though they were aware that that whole other Katachi case was going on and that all those other people were searched and arrested and charged with crimes and whatever. Like, it didn't even matter. They were going to continue acting as though none of this was illegal, knowing full well all of it was illegal. For example, within a few days of those searches, Jen and Stuart exchanged text messages about what they heard from other participants in the scheme about the searches, about which law enforcement agencies were involved in the ongoing investigation, and which defendants were referenced in an earlier press release about the Katachi case. Okay? Then they discussed, the two of them, Stuart and Jen, discussed firing their accountant because he previously worked with one of the people who got charged in the above case, which defendant said, quote, he's probably been questioned by the authorities. And they needed to mislead this accountant to make him, quote, think we're shutting down and then, quote, rebrand MPG, shift to, quote, working from home. And, quote, take the fucking computer out of the office to avoid law enforcement scrutiny. (laughs) That's not good. That's really not good. Okay, so they talk about what Jen used this fraudulent money for. Like we were saying, what on earth did this lady spend all this money on? So the government's like, look, she rented a 9,420 square foot mansion in Park City. And if you were to buy that 9,420 square foot mansion, you would have to pay $7.4 million for it. There's five bedrooms, eight bathrooms, a library, eight fireplaces, and a three-car garage. Okay, I totally get it. Like, I was born and raised in Orange County. I lived at the beach. I lived in LA. I get that parking's hard to come by. But like a three-car garage is not the selling point of a $7.4 million house. The government accuses Jen of using fraud proceeds, the money from the poor victims, to rent the Midtown Manhattan apartment, lease a Porsche Panorama, 
and purchase hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of luxury goods. Holy fucking shit. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of luxury goods. Oh my God. That's so crazy. How do you want things that much? Like, where do you wear them? I don't know. Despite her enormous income and the ostentatious manner in which she spent the fraud proceeds, Jen filed false tax returns for several years and never disclosed to the IRS any income from Red Steel, MPG, or any fulfillment entities. Oh my God, she didn't even tell. Well, I mean, honestly, of course she's not going to tell you know, the IRS, like, yeah, I'm making all this money. Look how rich I am from all these. Where did I get it? Oh, can't tell you that. No, I deleted it. Oh, no, I actually threw my computer away. Oh, no, I didn't. I actually work from home. And so you can't look at my computer. It's like, shut up, Jen. You're getting bad advice. I don't know who's advising you, but you're getting bad advice. So they accused Jen of having terrible post-arrest conduct, which I have to say, she was pretty bad. She didn't have very good post-arrest conduct. And they say, look, even after her arrest, Jen went on a public offensive against the charges, which she did. She repeatedly, (laughs) repeatedly, she repeatedly, vehemently, and falsely proclaimed her innocence. For example, saying, quote, I am innocent. I did not do any of those things. <laughs> she falsely proclaimed her innocence, for example, stating, quote, I am innocent. <laughs> yeah, she did that. Um, She also told the public that she was going to fight the charges, not for her own sake, but for a purported greater good. That's true, because then she said, quote, I'm fighting this. I'm innocent. I will fight this for every person out there that can't fight for themselves because they don't have the resources or the means, so they don't fight. I will fight because, number one, I'm innocent, and number two, I'm going to fucking represent every other person out there that can't fight and hasn't been able to. I just hope we can do better in the future and not judge people. So they say that this behavior has really been negatively impactful and had a devastating impact on thousands of victims of Genshaw. And to hear that she has thousands of victims is just, it's disgusting. And like to see her throw Angie's shoes off the, off the boat into the water and reading this, it's just like, you're a piece of shit. And Heather, if this is still your friend, like you're also a piece of shit. You are the company that you keep. I don't know why these women are keeping this company. I mean, she pled guilty. Like, that should, she said she did all this. She's like, yeah, this is what I did. I mean, come on. So in addition to what the um victims said in this case, the government also attached five victim impact statements who were directly victimized by Jen and her telemarketing sales floor, and a letter of a representative uh, for another victim. So this was a letter that actually they found on Jen's cell phone when they took it. So now that we know why the government wants such a harsh sentence, and we know why 
Jen wants such a light sentence, I think it's important to go through the victim impact statements and the uh, defendant like support statements one at a time and sort of compare the two because I think it would be interesting to see what each side of the story is, you know, you know, because this shit is not right. So I'm going to start with the first victim impact statement that the government has over here. And these victim impact statements, they're all um, redacted. So we don't know this person's name or anything. But um, here we go. <clears throat> to Honorable Judge, I've been asked to write an impact statement by Mr. Robert Sobelman. I'm assuming that's one of the prosecutors. I didn't look. I am writing this account because I've experienced a very painful event in my life. I am a recent widow of five years, and this event took place roughly half a year into my grief period. I was battling with the bureaucracies of widowhood, trying to change my status from a married person to a widow. Every turn I took, there were paperwork, proof of death and proof of marriage and a host of other documents to legally change my title. Among many tasks, I had to check my emails frequently. I was exhausted, overwhelmed, and frustrated to no end. An email message caught my eye, an unusual one that no computer skill required to learn a skill navigating the internet and make making a salary doing sales. The course sounded interesting, and I indica- and indicated that I would acquire a skill in computer knowledge and sales work, which I did many years ago sans computers. I responded, and a salesperson emailed me back and followed up with an email. The tutoring course charge was X amount of dollars. It It's redacted. X amount of dollars, and I thought, huh, I could do that. It's an investment into my future, so I signed up. In a week, I was swamped with many phone calls from many people who had different job titles. They had, and they each shared a portion of the tuition costs, but that was talked on after my initial down payment. Down payment? I got a binder for $10,000? Everyone else who ended up tutoring me charged me a different amount. Six people later and I was starting to sweat because I was not moving fast enough to make sales. I hadn't set up a business account for my sales and my skills with their program wasn't advanced enough for me to feel confident enough to work alone. The e-services tried to set up a business for me on a website, which I hadn't been aware that was set up for me. I was snowballed and didn't even know it. How scary is that? I put a stop to it and cried out, stop. They were going too fast and I wasn't ready. I hadn't done enough research to go off on my own. So I felt nervous about being pushed into sales when I didn't research enough about the subject matter. Wouldn't you be scared if you laid a bunch of money and you didn't know enough about what you are selling or how to do it? I was scared witless and that undermined my confidence so bad. I thought my depression was going to make me suicidal. I was so fearful. I was afraid of leaving the house or using my computer and phone for weeks on end. 
I stopped the tutorials after relaying this information to my sons. They, in turn, warned me to cease all communications and ask for my money back, consult an attorney or two, put a stop payment on all transactions, and file a complaint. My social worker at Adult Protection Services blamed me for being stupid enough to pay for online services. The police didn't do much except take down the information as far as I was told. I stopped answering my phones as the calls continued and my attorney called them and told them to stop calling and harassing me. One of the salespeople from the company accused my children of being selfish with my money because it's their inheritance. Day in and day out, the calls continued. I felt like a fugitive and phobic about everybody, almost paranoid about who is after me. I wouldn't want any other person to suffer as I had. I couldn't sleep at night for fear someone might come and roust me out of my house and sue me, and then I would be left in poverty and my family would disown me for doing such stupid things like throwing away my own savings. Your lack of confidence makes you wary about doing anything on your own. The pandemic did not help. It just made the isolation so much worse. My children didn't trust me to manage my own finances. Talk about depression. That's the worst. Your sanity is in doubt. Your confidence is eroded. Your independence, what limited amount there is, is curbed and you can't trust anybody. You are not the same person you were before this experience. Whoever these telemarketers are should cease stealing money and repay what they've stolen and perform acts of restitution, such as living as we are, doing what we do with what limited resources we have, and pay for medical services, such as therapy or psychiatric meds. The mental anguish is still with me today, and the guilt I harbor for being so vulnerable and so easy prey to such sarks still swim in my mind. I do not want the next person to suffer any of these mental anxieties such as I have. What is normal? I do not know anymore. Let the punishment fit the crime. Replace what you have taken and correct the consequences the action has caused. Thank you for your attention. Sincerely, blank. Okay, I'm going to read Sharif, Coach Shaw's letter, um, but it's like a lot of pages And so I'm just going to read the important parts. And then, like I said, if you want to read the whole thing, it's all in a Dropbox on allegedlybravo.com. Okay? So Coach Shaw says, Dear Judge Stein, it is with a heavy heart that I write this letter. My name is Sharif Shaw Sr., and I am Jennifer Shaw's husband. I'm painfully aware that my wife accepted a guilty plea of conspiracy to commit wire fraud related to a telemarketing scheme. The rippling effect of my wife's actions will be felt for years by my family members, as well as the innocent people who suffered unimaginable financial losses. These facts cannot be erased. However, there are additional facts that you should consider as you determine the appropriate sentence for Jen. Your Honor, you need, one, to know that wife is a Jen... (laughs) Your Honor, you need, one, to know Jen as a wife and a mother, two, Jen's civic commitment and contributions to her community, 
Three, how my wife ended up in this situation. And four, Jen's sincere desire to correct her past wrongs. So under the first bullet point of Jen as a wife and a mother, he goes on by saying that they've been married for over 28 years and that he recognized very early on that she was someone who would fight for those that she believed in and those that she loved. We go on by talking about how they met and how Jen worked three jobs and she was a nanny and a this and a that and all this stuff and how Jen won't be able to go to Sharif's medical school graduation, even though he saved his money for years for this moment. Okay, well, a lot of people save their money for years, you know? So it's like, please, like, please, this is how he concludes it. If there was not an event to celebrate, please believe me, she would make one up just to have an opportunity to laugh and have fun with her boys. Jen loved making me and our sons feel special. One of the many things that I do love about her so much. That's really sweet, coach. Bullet point number two. Jen's civic commitments and contributions to her community. So he goes on by saying, Throughout our entire marriage, I watched my wife devote hundreds of hours to address issues that plague our community. Jen's civic commitments and community contributions are limitless. After watching the COVID-19 death toll on the news each night, she stopped crying and began to work. It's like, okay, you guys were married for 28 years and you didn't see her get off her ass and work until 2019, which really was 2020. So like not very long. Oh, Heidi just hit her head. She's under the table. Um, it goes on by saying that she donated dresses to high schools and Quote, I was driving with her on many occasions when Jen would pull the car over to give masks and small bottles of hand sanitizer to homeless people and other vulnerable populations. Okay, it's the least you can fucking do, you know? Jen will unapologetically use her platform to support social justice issues and speak for underrepresented groups. I'm extremely proud of her civic commitments and community contributions. Okay, she handed out some hand sanitizer. Big fucking whoop. Big whoop. As what's-her-name would say, I don't give a rip. What's-her-name? D from um, Dallas. How did Jen end up here? This is bullet point number three. Jen has never been arrested or detained for any crime. Interesting. So Coach starts off the section three, how did Jen end up here, by talking about how she's never been arrested or detained from any crime. She accepted her guilty plea and she's cried about it and she's so sorry. And that from 2001 to 2012, he was a civil litigator and they rarely saw each other. So they sat down and he decided to be... um you know, a coach or whatever. And he ended up having to travel extensively to recruit athletes to play football. So he says, because of my absence, I was not able to see how badly my wife was suffering. As I think about it now, I recall her spending more time in our bedroom alone. 
She often fell asleep in our children's bed waiting for me to come home. She would constantly tell me that she feels alone. I am convinced that God is punishing me because I failed to be a good husband. That's sad. I don't think God's punishing you. I think God's punishing Jen for doing what she did that was bad. Um, <clears throat> number four, my wife will make it right. By accepting the guilty plea, Jen took a first huge step in making this right by acknowledging her own guilt and accountability. Jen is truly a good woman, mother, wife, sister, and daughter who made bad decisions. Yeah, I agree. Um, her lenient sentence will allow her return to work sooner. She's not a career criminal, yada, yada, yada. Judge Stein, I beg you to please show mercy on my wife when issuing your sentence. Sincerely, Sharif H. Shaw Sr. So now to go to a victim impact statement. This is from an unidentified victim. I can't begin to tell you the emotional, mental, physical, and financial anguish this has put on me, as well as my family. I almost lost everything I worked for, as well as my life, and almost cost me my marriage, as well as ruining my kids' lives for eternity. What I thought started out to be an investment in a company that I would pass on to my children if the business got off the ground successfully ended up ruining all of our lives. When I thought you were all legitimate business people helping me start out a new business that would be a great venture, totally turned our lives upside down within a very short period of time. The loss of over $100,000 due to the cost of starting up the business, your educational programs to get a successful business going, supplies, among other things, and taxes, which, because I'm Canadian, I wasn't supposed to pay taxes, so I didn't get the tax return you told me I would receive, all I have in return is a pile of debt that I have to recover from. I had to remortgage my house, and because of that, I almost ended up in a divorce. I had to make excuses as to why I had so many bills I had to pay. I only realized a short time later when I started receiving threatening phone calls saying that the FBI was looking for me and that they would be showing up at my door to have me arrested for money laundering, murder, and fraud that I realized I was a victim of a huge scam which I didn't think I would ever recover from. I received one of these phone calls on my personal phone while I was at my regular place of appointment, and I was terrified to go home. I couldn't let my family know what was happening because I didn't want them to worry and also be extremely angry at me for getting involved in such a scam. This caused severe anxiety, and I was physically sick. I had severe headaches and sick to my stomach and no sleep for months. I lost a day's pay because I was so upset I couldn't work. I stayed at my place of employment in an office while I cried my eyes out. I couldn't go home either. A coworker overheard the conversation. She actually took the phone out of my hand and told the person on the other hand to stop harassing me and hung up on him. She looked after me that day because I was so upset I couldn't even drive home, nor did I want my family to see me in the condition I was in. 
I was not only sick because of the threats, but now I had severe debt that had to be looked over. I also had to hide that for my family, but I was no longer able to take vacations with my children or husband, and I couldn't tell them why I wasn't able to enjoy the life we all once had. I would take extra shifts at work to try to compensate, but that still wasn't near enough. I thought about ending my own life, but that was not also, but that was also not a solution as the financial burden would now be their financial burden. And that would be the most horrific thing I would ever do to them, as well as the fact that my family would no longer have a wife, a mother, a sister, a daughter, a cousin, and the list goes on. That would have been the cruelest thing a person could ever do to their family. You brought me to this point, and now I am suffering the consequences of your fraudulent activities, threatening violence. You made me feel guilty for turning your services down when you were told that I was strapped financially and couldn't afford your services to help my business. When you were the fraudulent parties all along, you made my family suffer while I had to suffer in silence all by myself, trying to fix the mess that you made me create. I thought that I was going to have the ability to pass a successful business onto my children when I retired so they could benefit. And all I did was cause grief for everyone around me. You sounded sympathetic and convincing, so I trusted you. I was such an idiot. The courts may be, may have some form of punishment for the lawless activities that have been committed. But even when you have served your due punishment, whatever that may be, our God and heavenly creator of all things will be the one in the long run who you have to answer to. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 speaks of people that have committed serious crimes. Verse 9 starts out by saying, You do not know that unrighteous people will not inherit God's kingdom. Do not be misled. Those who are thieves, greedy people, revelers, and extortioners will not inherit God's kingdom. These things that are listed are the same exact crimes as mentioned that you committed against me. You did these things to me. You are nothing but greedy thieves. So once the legal justice system has cleared your crimes that have been committed, you must prove to God that you are truly sorry for the crimes that you have committed. And it will only be God that will truly forgive you if you are truly repentant and never return to the crimes that have been committed. I hope that other people never have to go through the mental, emotional, physical, and financial anguish that I've had to live through. I will forgive you for the wrongdoing that you have committed, but I will never be able to recover financially for many years to come. That is, if I ever really fully recover. It is an everyday struggle and an everyday worry wondering where I'm going to get money for the next set of bills that need to be paid and the food and shelter that we need to survive as well as family, as well as providing the care for my critically ill husband and 90-year-old father who is also critically ill, and both of them need me to provide for them financially. 
The burden you have caused me is overwhelming. I can't even really put to words the amount of anguish you have caused. I hope you don't ever find more victims that have to suffer the way I do because of your selfish, evil motives. It would be devastating to find out that you would seek out more innocent victims to cause them such dreadful harm. Damn. That was impactful, I would say. Okay, now I'm going to read Marillo's sentencing, recommending that Judge Stein give her a little bit of time. Okay, so Marillo says, Dear Judge Stein, I am writing this letter to refer Miss Shaw in regards to her character. I would like to introduce myself. My name is Marillo Bueno. I met Miss Shaw in 2015 while working at Blank in Salt Lake City where she was a client at. I ended up moving and leaving that job but then ran into Miss Shaw at a restaurant at the end of 2018 and that's when we were able to reconnect. Ever since then, Miss Shaw has opened up her home, her family, and herself to me and I have learned so much about love, honesty, respect, and integrity, and unconditional love at the Shaw household. Miss hmm. Shaw is always checking on people, worried about others' well-being, sometimes strangers, because to her, it doesn't matter who you are. Every human being deserves to be taken care of. In 2020, when COVID hit and it was safer to be around a couple people, the first thing Miss Shaw did was manufacture masks to be able to donate to healthcare workers and made as many as humanly possible in order to help as many people as possible during such a crazy time in the world. In my eyes, that's who Miss Shaw is. She will take the coat off her back and give it to someone that needs it. And that's what she will do for the people she doesn't know. She will do anything for her sons and her husband, as well as her entire family and friends. Miss Shaw has always been there for me while dealing with some issues. She has always been there for me, making sure that I'm okay, reassuring me that everything will be okay, that I'm never alone, and never asking for anything in return. And sometimes that's exactly what you need. Positivity and unconditional love. That's what good people do. They take care of others. I am aware that Miss Shaw has pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit wire fraud, but this does not change at all the way I see or feel about her. To me, I still see the good mom she is, the good wife she is, the good daughter, sister, auntie, and the one I know most, how good of a friend she is. Judge Stein, I hope you take some of these great qualities of Miss Shaw into consideration when making your decision. I respectfully beg you to be merciful and compassionate when making your decision and consider giving Miss Shaw a sentence of probation, as this will keep affecting a lot of people like her sons, her husband, her family, and her friends. Sincerely, Marilio. Okay, this is the last victim impact statement I'm going to read, and it's handwritten, so please bear with me because I'm not that great at even reading typed words. I feel like Kendall Jenner. I, can, I can't read you guys. Okay, so this victim writes, quote, I was at the beginning coming from a full-time job that I had to quit due to health reasons. 
atrial fibrillation, type 2 diabetes, hyperhidrosis, battery acid fumigation, etc. After the alleged crimes, I became homeless, losing many valuables. I stayed at two different homeless shelters, of which one shelter kicked me out on the streets because I could not find a construction job that would pay $20 an hour. I could not have explained to him that that kind of work would have killed me. The other shelter manager made me feel terrible about myself by telling me that I was the most negative person he'd ever seen. He didn't know my whole story, and he never will. The impact of being pushed into the debt of 30000 or more was bad enough. When I finally found an apartment that was owned by the other homeless shelter that they were already in the process of selling those apartments. After five months, the tenants were told to vacate in less than two months. The city officials moved my stuff to storage, some of which was stolen. Before the move, there was an important meeting between the tenants, city officials, apartment manager, and disability rights lawyers. I was not aware of this meeting because I was asleep in my apartment. All of the tenants signed something and no one ever told me what was being signed. Afterward, I stayed in a duplex with other men and the owners were part of a charitable foundation that gave away amounts of food to the duplex, but the other men did not allow me to touch any of it. So I had to eat out of a jar for two and a half months until I found another place to live. I could go out on and on, but the point is I have the problem of faith and trust also living with a bigoted world. Man, that sucks. So he had this horrible, horrible thing happen to him. He lost his job. He tried to get business going from Jen and she steals all his money and now he's going from shelter to shelter and all his shit's getting stolen. What little shit he has left. I'm actually going to read one more. Dear Honorable Stein, Please accept this letter in consideration for me and the many other seniors who were scammed by Mrs. Jennifer Shaw and her cohorts by intentionally selling misleading information for an exorbitant fee. My name is Blank, and I am a 75-year-old retiree. I am originally from Georgia and married my husband in 1966 with my dream of two children and a quiet, happy suburban life with a retirement shared with my husband. Well, in 1969, my husband went missing in Vietnam at a Korean base in what was reported to be a swimming accident. This was the end of my dream for a normal, quiet life. Oh my God, I did not read any of these beforehand. I just picked them out of my downloads. With no evidence and the reported search time, I of course questioned the evidence as reported. My husband had a three-year-old, had a three-week-old son the day they reported him missing. February 9th, 1969, but was not officially declared dead until December of that year. With normal challenges, I managed to raise my two beautiful, smart, honest, and precious children. As a single parent, we had many weeks that our food budget was $6 or less, and the clothing budget was even tighter each month for two growing children. I made them their blue jeans, shirts, jackets, blouses at night, and worked full-time during the day. I never considered taking help for the family. 
I live by honesty and hard work, and I was successful because each child excelled in their individual talents. Years passed, my son moved in with his grandparents, and my daughter met and married her husband in North Carolina. My daughter and her husband purchased a home in 12 acres, and I restored my old 1900s home on their property. My daughter and her husband did not have the $10,000 needed annually to maintain the property of that size, but her husband had developed some great men's grooming products. In a town, the demand for those products was negligible. I had $77,000 in savings, which was only enough to help for six years or so, leaving me enough money to bury me. I had experience in starting businesses and maintaining long enough to create a necessary profit needed. I decided I could sell his products on the internet where there was a larger market. Unfortunately, I had been away from computers for over 20 years. That's kind of a long time. That means you kind of did it for one day and then stopped. I would need to hire someone to set my foot on stable ground for this adventure. I first opened a website in my name of, quote, making it manly to get the product in front of people. The cost for this website was only $300 and I was off and running. I just needed some guidance on how to market that internet and capture the buyer's attention. In less than two weeks, I received an unsolicited email call. (laughs) I'm sorry. In less than two weeks, I received an unsolicited call from Vision Solutions Management with promises of teaching and leading me to success with their coaching. After their coaching for several weeks, I received another call from Vision Management Group offering services to pick up where Vision Solutions Management left off. Now, according to them, they did not work with each other and they were separate entities. By the time position guru, <laughs> by the time position gurus, five star quest and MPG were contacting me, I became suspicious because each business followed in a sequence of what would be the next step for sales. Coaching and information began to be duplicated. Same SE keywords, same drop shippers list, and etc. I began asking, I began asking for addresses because I wanted to know how they were connected or how they got the information to contact me with services that would have been just what I needed at that stage of the business. I was aware that they took it and they took the money to start and create successful business and the money spent would have been a bargain if they had delivered on their promises. I realized I had been conned! It is hard to admit that you were an old and foolish enough to believe their bill of goods. I wasted about $40,000 trying to do good for my family. Each person scammed has their own story with a dream of a better retirement and life. This was taken away when they were coerced to give away their money for false promises. Please consider the suffering caused to these seniors possibly because of now not having the money for food, medicine, or medical treatment they need. All who had their money stolen cannot use that money to increase their quality of life in retirement. Please consider this when passing judgment on Mrs. Jennifer Shaw. Her restitution and time served should put her into the same or similar hardship as her victims. 
It was her choice to commit the crime for fame, drinks, fun, and luxury. You are the judge. I request that your judgment carry the same hardship she has caused her victims. Thank you for her consider your consideration. Sincerely, victim. That's another impactful statement. So we'll stay tuned for 10 o'clock on January 6th of 2023, new year, new sentencing, and we'll see. This judge is going to go anywhere between like 360 months to, I think, three years was the minimum. So that's the window we're looking at. These impact statements I thought were really important as a way to see exactly how deep this went and how much Jen stole from people and how much it impacted their lives. So fuck you, Jen Shaw, for that. Go get your Jen Shaw's legal team hat over at allegedlybravo.com. We also have a retained by Lisa Barlow hat at allegedlybravo.com and everything else. But before we go, I must get my criminal behavior off my chest because it has been bugging me for weeks. And that is when men will do any sort of facial gymnastics and move their mouth in the weirdest of ways and tilt their head all weird. They do anything to avoid using a straw. I don't get that. Do you think that we see you sucking dick when you have the straw in your mouth? Like, I'm so confused as to what men have against straws. And to the point where they're willing to have it insert itself into their eyeball so that they can drink a gin and tonic without using a straw. It's weird. It's weird. Anyway, head on over to our website, allegedlybravo.com. Go ahead and submit your criminal behavior over there, or let me know what topic you'd like me to cover next. And keep your eye out for the episode that's soon to drop about Housewives Quotes 101. And please feel welcome and encouraged to leave a five-star review about how great I say words. Okay? Court is adjourned. Allegedly Bravo podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by Lauren Peavy House. Allegedly Bravo is available anywhere you listen to podcasts and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps me out. This podcast is made available by the lawyer or legal expert for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there's no attorney-client relationship between you and the podcast publisher. Allegedly Bravo podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. Got it? <laughs>